So one thing that I learned the hard way is that you should never tell a vegetarian that imitation crab is actually made of meat. <laughs> I feel like there that's true, but also I definitely know the vegetarians that like, I'm a vegetarian for four years, and then you see I'm drunk eating a hamburger. That was me. Just, that was you. <laughs> I, I would whenever I was blackout, I would eat yeah. shrimp. It's like I'm pretty sure, I'm, but don't worry, it was the vegan shrimp. <laughs> it was, the shrimp was made of tofu. <laughs> And you're listening to Food for Pod. Like and subscribe. <laughs> now that we have that out of the way. What what do we have to eat, Dylan? Are you hungry? I am hungry, and sitting in front of me is something that looks very familiar. Uh, we have some kind of rangu. We have a beef and a vegetable dish and a shrimp and noodles. Or with looks like pork, uh, you got carry out Chinese. I sure did. And here's a pop quiz. Yes. Can you guess what these three dishes have in common besides being American Chinese American staples? Chi- um, they all came from the same restaurant. That's fair. That's true. <laughs> uh, I don't know. What? <laughs> so we have crab rangoon. Check. Mongolian beef. Yes. And Singapore noodles. Mm-hmm. Does that help you guess? Uh, they're all not... They're all... They're, no, that doesn't help me at all. No. They're all named after places. Oh, Crab Rangoon is named Rangoon after... Rangoon is uh, uh, the name of... The former name of the capital of Myanmar. See, I didn't even know that. Rangoon is a place. But, twist... Plot twist, none of them are actually from the place they're named after. What? So we'll eat it first, and then we'll talk about that mystery. The history of the the misnamed uh, Chinese food dishes. (laughs) The history of why these aren't from the place they're called. All right, so Dylan, what did you think? Um, Pretty good. Pretty standard. Yep. Chinese food. Chinese takeout. Which I love, and I feel like I told you the other day that I want I was in the mood for Chinese takeout, and voila, we got it. Exactly. You said you wanted Chinese takeout, and I thought about it, and I said, well, here's some interesting stories to tell. Um, first, first off, where is the food from? So the food is from D Cuisine. Okay. You may remember D Cuisine. As the restaurant that provided the dim sum at the dim sum 5K we did. Oh, in okay. Yes, this is the second time I've had their food. So you've had their food before. I will say it's better when it's not thousands of individually packaged dim sums. <laughs> at the end of a at 5K end, when it's 90 degrees out. And us eating it as we're trying to, like, not, uh, not die walking home yeah it's usually after a 5k i mostly want water now the difference is when we did the hot chocolate i had the opposite effect where i really wanted like the chocolate and the marshmallows which normally i would never want that yeah i learned the hard way from the hot chocolate race that you can't eat a marshmallow and run at the same time yes we didn't eat dim sum during the race so i don't know if that's possible but i Generally stick to liquid food. Yes, you can uh, only packets of uh, duck sauce <laughs> when you're when you're running the five k. Yeah, no. So I I do feel like I do feel like I did de cuisine dirty a little bit by ordering this from there because their specialty and what they're famous for is their Hong Kong dim sum. Okay. So if we weren't specifically saying let's talk about Chinese takeout. Um, that's what we I would got. probably have ordered dim sum from there, and but, I think I would definitely want to do that a different time. But I will say that you did get very good, like, what I would normally order from Chinese takeout, because I think Mongolian beef is one of my, like, go-to 
meals. Yeah, and Singapore noodles is actually one of my go-to. Mm. So um, I think this. I think we may have ordered this exact meal yeah, from somewhere fairly semi-recently um, because I think these are both ones that we order a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think. Well, let's talk. Let's talk about just American Chinese food first of all, and then we'll talk about why these three specific dishes are interesting. Cool. Because American Chinese food, in and of itself, has an interesting backstory. Um, I think in this day and age, and I, I like this is why I want to preface this conversation with this discussion is I think nowadays there's definitely foodies that like to be snobby about food that are like Chinese takeout isn't real Chinese food right yeah and it is and it isn't like American Chinese food is different from the Chinese food you would eat in China yes for a lot of reasons just like Pizza that you get in America is different from pizza that you get in Italy. Exactly. It doesn't mean it's not Italian food. <laughs> yeah, it also do- it doesn't mean it's not pizza. Yeah. It doesn't mean that um, there aren't Italian-Americans running pizza restaurants. That's that It's just not like yes. the same. And oh, so-, so people are arguing that it's too Americanized, even though the people that are running the restaurants are also ethnically Chinese. Yeah, I mean, you know the people who are just like, that's not real. Like, people yeah. who are, are... Twitter. Yeah, that the people who are Over, aggressively... Overcorrecting? ...pedantic about things. And, no, but I think there's also a, a lot of people arguing that even though American Chinese food is not necessarily what you would eat if you were in China, it is a valid cuisine. Yes, absolutely. it's been around for a century... At least, and it has a lot of hallmarks and staples and things that make something identifiably American Chinese food. Chinese food is one of my favorite things to eat, and I will say that I probably have never eaten what people would consider real Chinese food because I because you've only ever eaten in right. America. <laughs> I've only eaten in America, and Chinese buffet. I grew up on loving Chinese buffets. Like mm-hmm. that's my jam. And yeah. it and Chinese it might surprise you that Chinese buffets in Oklahoma probably aren't considered uh, the real Chinese food by some people. <laughs> probably there's a lot of people that would consider almost anything in Oklahoma not, not real, real except yeah. for like meat. Right. <laughs> Which you can get barbecue at a Chinese buffet in Oklahoma. That's so. true. I believe it. Yeah. And sushi, which is, you get a, <laughs> I, they do have sushi offerings at the Chinese buffet. I do, I probably, my food snob thing is that, like, I don't like to order sushi from a restaurant that isn't Japanese. I don't like to get, I never really liked the sushi because it was very, it was sitting out all day. So, like, yeah. that was my main problem with the Chinese buffet sushi, not because it wasn't J- Japanese, but because I don't know what kind of quality meats are in this. Yeah. No, my thing is, like, if it's if it's sushi, but it's not a sushi restaurant. Yeah. I, I like, the Chinese buffet you're talking about, a 7-Eleven, <laughs> Whole now, Foods. Now, <laughs> now, I have learned my lesson playing the gas station sushi game before. Yeah. That's a game with no winners. No, it's not great. It's uh, not great. But so... The, the American Chinese food, um, like many historical things that exist in America, um, was created because of racism. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know this story, but basically there were a bunch of <clears throat> racist laws to restrict immigration from China. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, so... There was a loophole called a merchant visa where a Chinese-American business owner could recruit workers from China. Mm. And that was one of the old... Once these laws were in place, so there originally had been more immigration, and then once these laws were in place, that was one of the only ways... About what time period are we... That's... uh, This was around 1910. Okay. Between 1910 and 1920 is when... The laws were enacted to restrict immigration, and the merchant visa loophole 
um, existed. And then restaurants were added as one of the businesses mm. that qualified under that loophole. So everybody came mm. over and opened restaurants. Well, so people who were already here, right. who were Chinese, opened, opened restaurants, restaurants. And then... And then they were able to have... obtain visas to bring the rest of their families over. That makes a lot of sense. And so, like... People were very strategic. They would pool like you could. It couldn't just be like I have a restaurant in my home. Technically, I'm a business owner. It had to no, be no, no ghost kitchens. No ghost back kitchens. Then. No, you had to have like a big restaurant. So you'd have um, groups of Chinese American, mostly men, who were already here, would pool their money. Put, open a restaurant, open a big like banquet hall, yeah, and then you had to be the owner for a year to qualify for these uses. So they would take turns. They just each, sell, they just sell it sell back the and business forth. back and forth so that everybody would get a chance to bring their family, bring their family over. And so a, a researcher found that um, the number of Chinese restaurants in America quadrupled. In the 1910s. And is this, this is all over the country or? It was all over the country. Yeah. Um, it was, I think there, there was probably more in, on the West Coast, but it, this was happening all over and. Is this with like the boom of like every city having like a Chinatown too? Like. I didn't look that up, but that. It would make sense. It would make sense because, but there, there's also, I mean, there's Chinese restaurants in so many different. Oh yeah. Places and so what happened is all these people who weren't previously restaurateurs were now operating restaurants, and so people started basically just inventing different foods because you didn't have the same ingredients right. that you might have had in China, um, and the ingredients that are inexpensive in America. Some examples are like sugar and chicken. Yeah, are either more expensive in China or just not generally used as frequently. Um, and then this was an interesting fact I learned. So Szechuan peppercorns, mm -hmm. the thing that makes your mouth tingle yeah. in Szechuan food. Um, so that's that's ubiquitous in China. But there was that was also restricted. There's an import ban on those until 2005. Wow. So... Next time you eat Szechuan food and your mouth tingles, you like, couldn't have done. You hey, couldn't have done that. You could have done this twenty years ago. Exactly. That's that's wild. So um, this is reminded me of that, and you might get into similar stuff. But that uh, did you watch? Did we watch the documentary, the Searching for General Sal together? No, but that was cited in some yeah, of the research I was reading. That's a really good one because it talks about how like General Sal is not a Chinese dish, right? And it, but like it, and they're like are every. But, but General Sal sounds like something that would be authentically Chinese. So everybody put it on their menu, even though it was a completely different thing, restaurant to restaurant. Yeah. And that was that was one of the things that there was basically with that and so many of these other dishes. Lo mein. Yeah. It was different people were inventing dishes simultaneously. Yeah. And... Americans were starting to eat at all these restaurants and they were saying to themselves, this must be what Chinese food is. Mm -hmm. And then they'd go to a different Chinese restaurant and they'd want General Tso's chicken yeah. or whatever. And so there was this sort of constant like learning from each other and like feedback loop where dishes started to coalesce into like a generally accepted form Yeah. over time. And I feel like that's, pretty common not just with Chinese food mm -hmm. with any kind of like ethnic food that gets Americanized yeah I mean that, that's where I guess that is like the general process that's what happens you get it and it has to be watered down to American palates or it has to be you it, it just becomes it's like so you can go to another restaurant and be like this isn't yeah. What it tastes like because, <laughs> because it's not from my restaurant that I always go to right you start to think like this is what this dish is right and is it? It doesn't, but it's... The first time I had ramen noodles, not, like, from the packet, but, mm -hmm. like, at a restaurant, I was like, oh, this isn't ramen noodles, because it doesn't taste like the uh, the, the packets that <laughs> you, you get for 25 cents a piece. 
I had that experience with mac and cheese when I had like mac and cheese that wasn't craft. Like real mac and cheese. Like real like a baked like a homemade mac and cheese (laughs) and I was like no mac and cheese is orange and soupy. And and you gotta put it you gotta make it yourself. Yep. You gotta make it yourself out of powder. Yep. It it doesn't have the powdery cheese. Get this real cheese out of here. Yeah gross. I want powder. Um, Yeah I think I think that's interesting. But so I think the moral of this story, though, is whenever you think of a stereotype. Yeah. There's always some racist law that created that stereotype. I think that a lot of this podcast is turning into what racist law or colonialism caused us to be able to eat this food today. Yeah, if we were actually historians... We could do a really interesting. I think that this is even better because we could we don't have to hide behind facts and things that <laughs> we really just happen. Legends. Yes, yes. But, or, or but a tall this tale. is this is a this isn't this is mostly well researched. No, I think you you, do, you you say we're not historians, but you do do the research about this. Well, stuff. I do the research in the sense of a Twitter troll saying, "Do your own research." In the, <laughs> I spend uh, some time reading articles on the internet. I didn't go to like historical documents. And somehow, and somehow, you also found that uh, that the election was stolen. And... I found out a few new COVID cures. <laughs> and one of them is Mongolian beef. Yes. So we'll get to that later when we talk about the Mongolian beef we ate. But yes, we neither of us have COVID now. Nope. Never, n- nope, and I had it right before we recorded this Jesus episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Tall tale. Um, yeah, so overall, I just want to set the scene that American Chinese, extremely legitimate, one of our favorite things to eat. I also think that that's a big city bias-like opinion, too, because I don't mm-hmm. think anybody that lives outside of, like, a city that has a thriving... Chinese population would say that like if the only place that you have is a uh, House of Hunan mm-hmm. in your local strip mall. You're not complaining about that that this is an authentic Chinese Yeah, and I also I'm, I'm leaving D cuisine out of it. I think yeah. D cuisine is great. They're great And we don't but and it was really good Chinese takeout and it hit the spot Yeah, and I'm, I'm just saying when people are like Mongolian beef isn't real. It's like well, it is real. It is real. Um, so getting into the individual things we ate so yes. crab rangoon. Yes, I have a fun crab rangoon story, but I want you to tell me about it first. I want you. You want me to tell you your story? No, I want you to tell me about what crab rangoon. Well, so it's the interesting story that you didn't know rangoon was a place until just now. No, <laughs> but okay, go ahead. That's a good point. I bet a lot of people don't. But know people that. don't know that. So rangoon is a former name of Yangon. See, if you had said Yangon crab Yangon, I would have known exactly where That's we were. Not, then you wouldn't know what the food was because crab. Because because fun fact. Crab Rangoons are not from Burma. Um, This is a really common thing in the U.S. apparently is to name things after places in Burma when they have absolutely no connection to them at all. Sounds about right. Because the Mandalay Bay Casino... Is Mandalay Bay in in Burma? Fun fact. Mandalay is in Burma. Mm -hmm. Mandalay is like an inland it doesn't, city doesn't there's have a bay. no mandalay bay mm-hmm. the person who opened the casino just like wanted something exotic sounding and like sound exotic though it does but then i guess mandalay on its own didn't sound exotic enough so they called it mandalay bay and the casino is not like burma themed in no. any way it's just... i don't even i think it's just a generic casino it doesn't really have a theme yeah so i but i always think that one's even funnier when I visited Burma. I um, went to both Yangon, formerly Rangoon, and um, Mandalay. And I was like, this is a weird place to name a casino <laughs> after. Because it's like, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's fine, but it's inland. It's not like, it's, it's more of an industrial city. Like, there's right. plenty to see and do, but it's It like, was obviously named by somebody who had never who had been never there. Who had never been there. And... 
Similarly, Crab Rangoon is fully American. Yeah, so this is a good point for me to tell you my Crab Rangoon story. Okay. Uh, we, Crab Rangoon is the first Chinese food I ever ate. Mm-hmm. Because uh, my dad, when he was a, uh, when he ran his own law firm, had a client who uh, they, they kept having, there was like a first generation Chinese family, and they had a Chinese restaurant. Uh, and my dad did a lot of like pro bono work for them and a lot like a lot of times with my dad whenever he would do pro bono work people would bring him things and so this one uh, like multiple times through my childhood we were brought just like multiple trays of like frozen crab rangoon that we could just warm up in our freezer Nice. and it was just like this was like my dad's like like I don't know, uh, George Bailey moment of like taking care of somebody and then them, them reciprocating by just giving his family too much crab rangoon. <laughs> I like that. Um, I want to get paid in crab rangoon. Uh, there was also the time where he did his one and only murder trial was somebody paid him in hot sauce. Yeah. Did you so. ever see the ad where they are paying people in gum and there's this man working on a utility pole and he goes, no one ever pays me in gum. <laughs> I just get paid in money. He's real sad. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to get paid in gum, but I would get paid in snacks. Yeah. Um, so the Crab Rangoon originated most likely at, at Trader Vic's. Have you heard of Trader Vic's? Yes, it, from a uh, from the song Werewolves of London. <laughs> yeah, so Trader Vic's was actually first opened in Oakland, California, in the 30s, but it's now all around the world. It's a tiki bar, right? Yeah, it's like a, it's a tiki bar um, capitalizing on another, like, a racist fascination with Polynesia. Yeah. <laughs> from the... So why not throw in uh, Crab Rangoo to that? Yeah, why not add? So, um, no, there was, like, it, it, it was an interesting time in the 1930s and 40s in terms <laughs> of American-Polynesian relations. <laughs> But um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is the popular grocery store Trader Joe's yeah. is like, a, it's not a spinoff because it's a different person, but it's like based on the concept of it's Trader a, Vic. It's a spiritual sequel to yeah, Trader Vic. Yeah, which Vicks. is why there's like weird Polynesian appropriation there, in oh, like oh, Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's has a lot of problematic, uh, like... Trader Jose's and right. Trader Giuseppe and Trader Ming yes. is the Chinese. <laughs> the Chinese one, yeah. There's a there's a lot going on there, but so that's if you're wondering why Trader Joe's seems to be appropriating stereotypes for no reason, the reason is that they are. Didn't like, they make their employees wear Hawaiian shirts for a while? I think they still do. They still do. Yeah, so that's weird too. Yeah, it's like a bunch of stuff like that. That's like that's like spinning off. Of Trader Vic's. Of Trader Vic's, which itself is based on a bunch of stereotypes that were popular in the 1930s. Um, and so, because this was like in the 1930s and 1940s, you're into really old or weird cookbooks. Yeah. Cream cheese, super popular at the time, right? Yeah. Lots so that's of- why that's why there's a lot of cream cheese in yeah. this. Yeah, so basically, the, the person who opened Trader Vic's didn't know a lot about Polynesian food, but he was, like, basically stuff that's, like, vaguely tropical. So, I think crab seemed vaguely tropical, yeah. wontons are Asian, and cream cheese was just cool. So, <laughs> it all got thrown together and fried, and um, that's why we have crab rangoon. And now you're probably asking, why is it at a Chinese restaurant? Liz. Why is it at a Chinese restaurant? Because there was a whole lot of cross-pollination in this general 30s, 40s, 50s between Chinese restaurants yep. and tiki bars because, in America. Because they're other and it's something that's... in like, So they can all get thrown into one. Yeah, so a lot of things, like things that were on in American Chinese restaurants, Trader Vic's would borrow and just like put pineapple in it. <laughs> Um, the poo-poo platter is actually based on, I think, a Hawaiian dish is what yeah, I read. Yeah, sounds about right. So, yeah, there's 
a whole lot, a whole lot of just, you don't know what this is, but it's different. We're going to borrow it and put it on each other's menus. It's from the Orient. Yeah, exactly. Um, so some changes between the original and what you're, what we're probably eating today. So most crab rangoons now use imitation crab, mm-hmm. um, which is actually fish. It's usually pollock. I was going to say, yeah, I, I doubt that they use real crab. Yeah, Trader Vic's originally used real crab, and part of that is that imitation crab was not invented until 1975. Wow, predates the imitation crab. Yeah. Um, we used to get imitation crab and just eat it as a snack. Yeah, I... Dip it in, like, cocktail sauce. I ate imitation crab throughout the four years that I was vegetarian because I didn't realize it was fish. <laughs> And I didn't want to ask any questions. So you were just pescatarian without knowing it. I was I was vegetarian except for imitation crabs specifically. Um, that were was you the bum- one. Were you meat. bummed when you found out it had meat? I didn't find out it had meat until after I started eating meat again. Probably for the best. But I did um, break the news to my vegetarian roommate who was eating crab rangoons, and I think she like <laughs> didn't speak to me oh. for a while. Um. But yeah, so that's that's the crab rangoon. If you're vegetarian, probably not for you. But if you want to continue to believe imitation crab is some kind of tofu, that's fine. I don't care. Like we said, we're not really a facts-based uh, podcast, except for the facts that we want to believe. Yeah, you can believe whatever you want to believe about imitation crab. Um, so Singapore noodles. Yes. Not from Singapore. What? <laughs> Um, so Singapore is a place with a lot of noodles. Yes. But this is not one of them. And a, and a, and a, a Formula One race. Yes. And a Formula One race not involving noodles at all, nope. usually. Um, so Singapore noodles, how would you describe Singapore noodles? Uh, they're very small. Mm-hmm. Well, they're thin. They're very, yes, very thin noodles. Um, there's always a yellow tint to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they always have like a shrimp and a chicken or a beef and a pork or a shrimp and a pork. Always like multiple kinds of protein in it. Yeah. Generally. It's, I, it's like fried rice with noodles. Yeah. It's, so it's like, a, it's, it's a rice vermicelli noodle. So it's a thin noodle, like you said. Vermicelli sounds, Ita- or sounds Chinese. <laughs> vermicelli, vermicelli is, vermicelli. um, obviously an Italian word. <laughs> um, I think it comes to the word for worm, but we're not yeah. worrying about that. They're not made of worms. Um, worm noodles. Worm noodles. Uh, and then usually it's pork and shrimp, but you're right that it's usually multiple it's something. meats. It, yeah. Today we had pork and shrimp, um, but it's usually a couple of meats, a couple of veggies. So it is like a stir fry. It's like stir fried in a wok. I feel like even if I don't know that the name is Singapore noodles, like there is a version of this on every Chinese menu. Yeah, what makes Singapore noodles distinct from other noodle dishes is the curry powder. Okay. And that's what makes it yellow. Usually Madras curry. Um, and Singapore noodles, not invented in Singapore, not the U.S., invented in Hong Kong. Okay. Um, which is not close to Singapore. I guess Hong Kong noodles were taken? Probably. <laughs> no, the reason they were called Singapore, so this is also invented in the 1950s, 1960s, ish um hong kong was at the time still a british colony so there was a lot of cultural exchange with india which until recently had been a british colony and so the chefs were getting a lot of they had curry powder yeah and they wanted to i guess whoever came up with the name was like i want to say that this is from somewhere else because the curry powder makes it exotic but i can't say i can't say it's indian Noodles. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know why they chose Singapore. There's no specific reason. It's not like Singapore isn't like a place that's known or not known for curry. I mean, Singapore is kind of a confluence of um, right, if like you... Malaysian, Indonesian food, Indian food, Chinese food. Like it's an island in the middle of this va- like region of a number of different countries, and so there's a lot of different culinary influences. Mm-hmm. So it's not that like there's not curry in Singapore. It's just that like you don't think of curry. It, it wasn't like the, 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 there wasn't any like specific reason that has at least been written down and maintained. It's like a nickname. One, it, you get it 
You, you lose track of how you got it, but the nickname sticks longer than you know. Right. Like, my friend who calls me Greasy. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. That's too long of a story. Um, like, like my friend that calls me Singapore Noodles. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, this was... The Singapore Noodles were popular because they were filling and pretty cheap to make. They were popular with blue-collar workers in Hong Kong. But, like... Many dishes, they eventually made their way to America Woo! and became a popular staple on American Chinese menus. Yeah. And now people eat them and probably just assume they're from Singapore. I, or, yeah, probably. I assumed until I Googled it last time I was eating them. I don't think I ever really thought about it. Yeah, and the last one, so this is the one, so I knew... I knew Crab Rangoon was not Rangoon because I had been there. You had Burmese I knew, food. I knew um, Singapore noodles were not from Singapore because I think last time I was eating them, I was like, why are they called this? And I Googled it. Mongolian beef, I found out, was not from Mongolia this morning. <laughs> when I was thinking of this theme and I was like, what is there other? a third thing? And, and also, time to pull out the French fries. <laughs> also from America. Yeah, yeah <laughs> otherwise we were eating French, French fries. fries. <laughs> um uh, a bonus fact, Peking duck is actually from Beijing. Oh. Which is what Peking... Yes. Yeah. Peking's a city in Beijing. Peking is... No, Beijing is a city and Peking Pe- is its former name. Peking and Beijing are one and the same. Yes. But and Peking du- and is du- the... And duck is an animal that has wings and du- flies. Says quack. <laughs> and ducks fly together. Yeah, ducks fly together like Peking and Beijing, which are the same place. <laughs> you and me go together like Peking and Beijing. <laughs> You're the former me. I'm going to... <laughs> we're going to write this love song. <laughs> you and me go together like Beijing and Peking. <laughs> Just... That's it. That's, that's the whole that's time. That's it. It's just you're, but you're, the analogy you're making is that I'm you are, like you, but newer. Uh, yes. You're the, I, I don't think that's an insult. Sure. You're like me. Perfect. But newer. Newer. <laughs> but I'm older. Um, but better. But better. Okay. So, now we're getting the geopolitical of if uh, Beijing is better than it once was. That is not a question that we answer <laughs> on the food podcast. <laughs> So, um, Mongolian beef, not for Mongolia. Yes. Mongolian beef is, was first served at Mongolian barbecue restaurants. Makes sense. Are you familiar with Mongolian barbecue? Yes, I like Mongolian barbecue. You go and you put everything you want in a bowl and then they cook it right there in front of you with the big sticky things and then they slide it and you always put way too much and way too many different sauces and it kind of tastes all jumbled up in your mouth. Yes. I exactly I, that? I hate Mongolia bar. I'm not going to lie. I like... You don't like to pick things I don't out. like to pick things. Like, I mean the format, not the food, but like... We have the two opposite problems because you don't like to pick things and I want to pick everything. And so well, mine, tastes, yeah. ma- mine tastes like a big old mess. Well, so does mine. My problem is I just pick like... The five to ten things that look the best to me. Uh-huh. So I'll be like, I like shrimp. I like chicken. I like blueberries. I like <laughs> peanut butter. I like sesame seeds. And like suddenly and I have get, like a weird chicken smoothie. And you get and, a peanut butter blueberry chicken shrimp. Yeah, and it's disgusting because I can't <laughs> like control myself to like pair things properly. There's like ketchup in it for some reason i found a chalupa somewhere like it like doesn't go together and so i don't like i don't do a good job and so i need to go somewhere where they have like suggestions yes i think that it it does take a lot of the work out out of the chefs to come up with what to cook for right but i have been to places where they say like here is a suggestion Uh. and then you can just say that mm. or I'm suddenly eating like chocolate edamame like I don't know what kind of uh barbecue what kind of Mongolian barbecue you go to that 
offers to grill blueberries and chocolate, but I want to see this. No, there was a place in California that I feel like I was always at when I lived there. And was it a Pinkberry? No. Did you accidentally go to a... <laughs> a Pinkberry and grill. You went to a Pinkberry Froyo, fried Froyo. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I smell a fusion restaurant. I'm being silly, but like they would have things like peanuts and like sometimes like the savory fruits, like peaches you okay. can grow, yeah. pineapple. I get that. Like there are fruits that might go in a dip. Like you can have yeah. like pineapple fried rice. It's just that then I would put like mustard on it because I'm an <laughs> idiot. No. I think that that's a very common thing. I think that... Pineapple fried rice with mustard. No. Regret from... Yeah. Regret at a Mongolian restaurant. That's my favorite Billy Joel song. Regret at a regret Mongolian barbecue. And the name of this episode. Yeah. So, so fun fact. Mongolian barbecue is also not from Mongolia. <laughs> it's um, from Taiwan. So... Okay. I want to back up. Yes. What is Mongolian beef? Mongolian beef is... Usually flank steak, marinated in, like, brown sugar, soy sauce, ginger, garlic, and blueberries. Just kidding. Mongolian um, beef also is the man who won Miss Uni- Mr. Universe last year. <laughs> Mongolian beef. Not for Mongolia. Not for Mongolia. <laughs> <laughs> from, from Taiwan. Or, sorry, it's Chinese Taipei. Like... He's from Chinese Taipei. I'm sorry. We're not getting into geopolitics. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see, um, the, have you seen that, like thing that pops up on social media every so often of like the man contest where it's like men from every country and they wear their national costume and they're just all gorgeous yes. and I'm like why isn't this more televised why isn't the man con- the Mr. Universe contest yeah but it's like not even that it's like Mr. International man is I don't know one that, this is the one that you showed me where it was just like they all looked very dapper except for like Sweden had like a weird traditional like dress yeah, like half of them like are in traditional dress. Half of them are like dressed as national birds, yeah. like a big like feather costume. Yeah. I don't know. I just think there there's, there should be more space in our world for beautiful men to dress like birds in public. I think they should do that, but not tell us what country they are, and so we then have to guess where they're from. You should never guess where another person that's is good point. from. That's some that's some problematic territory. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Um, but we can guess where food is from. Mongolian yes. beef is not from Mongolia. No. So it's so it's it's um it's really common American Chinese food. One of my favorites. Yeah, it's, it's and it's I was reading it's popular because it's sweet. So if you're an American who's really uncomfortable with spice of any kind. Now, I've had some pretty spicy Mongolian beef before. I think you can also change the spice level. Yeah. Like, this was... I was tasting it on its own, and it was not devoid of spice. There, I wouldn't say that it was as sweet as I was anticipating based are, on the description. There are some restaurants that put, like, you know, like, uh, the flames next to it. Like, yeah. I have seen flames next to Mongolian beef at a so restaurant. So it can... I mean, I'm sure you can make it spicy yeah. by putting spices in it. Um, but this just goes back to, like, that it's not going to be the same at every restaurant It's not the same you everywhere. To. And you, there's also places you can say, like, I want this spicier, I want this not spicy. Yeah. Um, so Mongolian barbecue... One, which eventually Mongolian restaurants started serving Mongolian beef. Mm. It was created in Taiwan. Um, and it was invented by a restaurateur named Wu Zhaonan. And he fled, ta- he fled to Taiwan from Beijing, also known as Peking. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, it was Beijing during the Chinese Civil War. And so he opened a restaurant in Taiwan in 1951. And the reason he called the sort of stir-fry with a bunch of different ingredients Mongolian barbecue was that he wanted to call it Beijing barbecue because that's where he was from, but that was not a popular name in 1950s Taiwan. Yeah, sounds about right. So he went with the more neutral-sounding Mongolian. Mongolian. Um, although it is interesting because... Um, the, the sort of a, a like this the stir frying a bunch of things together concept is also found in Korean cuisine yes. and Japanese cuisine and instead of choosing one of the countries that does do this he picked Mongolia which does not do this <laughs> <laughs> um, actual Mongolian food if you're interested is a lot of yak products oh I am now you you 
I was not interested until you said yak. Now I'm on board. Right. So Mo- Mongolia is next to Siberia, right? Yes. It's it's cold. There's a lot of yaks, so it's like yak cheese, mm-hmm. yak kaffir. A lot of um, Genghis Khan inspired meals. What what meals would you consider inspired by Genghis Khan besides like the blood of your enemies? Well, you took the first one that I was going to say. Um, oh, the Great Wall of China. I don't know a lot about Genghis Khan. <laughs> Elephants. <laughs> Elephant. Um, was that Genghis Khan the one that rode elephants? That's Hannibal. Oh, okay. Same difference. Um, different conqueror. Different conqueror. Um, Alexander the Great. Anyway. Yes. Um, so yak product, yak dairy products, um, borts, which is a type of jerky. Okay. And, I'm, I'm still on board. And you know, things you eat in the cold, so like soups, stews, like dumplings. Like, yeah. So it's not, again, it's not like, a, it's, it, it's, no, it's typical general food categories. It's just not Mongolian beef. Right. Or barbecue. That's interesting. Yeah. And so, fun fact about Wu Zhanan, who invented Mongolian barbecue and dubbed it Mongolian barbecue, is his original restaurant was incredibly popular. It was originally like a food stall, but it was so popular that ambassadors and dignitaries would go there when they were in town. But it was destroyed in a flood. And what did he do when his restaurant was destroyed? Built another one? Nope. Died? Nope. What? Become a comedian. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So he had a second career as a comedian. Never. Was he, was he popular? I think so. I mean, he's popular enough to never open another Mongolian barbecue restaurant. See, this is the problem. We would have the world's best Mongolian grill if comedy didn't exist. Right. So this man became a comedian, but... This is had... two episodes in a row where we... Or two episodes recently where we uh, talk about... How much better food is than comedy? Yeah. So, um, he the thing is, his he had he had already gotten popular enough in Taiwan that other people just started opening Mongolian barbecue yeah. restaurants with names like Genghis Khan Barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> and like the like Singapore noodles, it was eventually brought to America and incorporated onto American oh. restaurants. Yeah. So, um. That's the story. That's a wild tale. I, that's uh, I feel like we should do the opposite, where we quit comedy, quit comedy, and, and open a uh, open a restaurant in a place that isn't named that the restaurant isn't named after. Open go to go to a third location. Yeah. Well, or it, go, we go to a second location and name a dish after a third location. I, I did just think that's kind of like you'll always see like places that it's like. New York pizza, or or like old Chicago yeah, pizza. Yeah, old Chicago pizza found everywhere but Chicago. Yeah, so like I get that. It made me wonder when we were talking about cream cheese if Philadelphia cream cheese is from Philadelphia, and I didn't look it up, so I'm gonna look it up now. Who? No, I I'm gonna say yes, but it might not be still be there. Philadelphia cream cheese is one of the best selling. <laughs> they don't sponsor us. We can't. It was invented in New York State and there, not Philadelphia. There you go. There a dairyman right. from Chester, New York, attempted to make Neufchatel, a tangy, crumble-your-cheese product that was popular in Europe at the time. Instead, he accidentally added an excessive amount of cream, create a richer, more spreadable cheese. This is definitely one of those, like, accidental recipes. Yeah, like, a lot of popular brands in America. Um, And it was named after Philadelphia because the area around Philly had a reputation for high-quality dairy farms. Ah, so they were pulling one over. Yeah. So it's like, it's Philadelphia cream cheese. It must be good. Yeah, but it's not. It's from New York, and it was a mistake. (laughs) Like everything in New York. Yeah. And now, (laughs) New York pizza was a mistake. Mistake. You should never have it. New York cheesecake was a mistake. (laughs) And I'm going to go down a rabbit hole of, like, every food that's named after now, a place. you should give us an... We should do a... That'll be a quiz at the end of one of these is, uh, where is this actually from? What Where is this food actually from? We know Milky Way bars are from the Milky Way. Yes. Because... Yeah, but Mars bars are named after a person. I don't think... Yeah, well, I, I learned that from uh, the food that built America. Yes. Mr. Mars. Mr. Mars. Mr. Forrest Mars. Yep. 
son of American candy maker Frank C. Mars. Um. Anyway, <laughs> you're now down the now rabbit hole. Now I'm just thinking. I'm like, what else is named for a place? We we'll, already talked we'll about. We'll do an update fries. on where. Update. Where Where is this food from? We'll revisit this. Um, what's cooking good, Dylan? Uh, Liz, I have a very quick what's cooking good, Dylan, and it it plays into something that you know about me. Uh, my loathing of pop-up bars. Yes. Now. Before we get into this, what is your feeling about pop-up bars? Neutral to positive. Okay. I think they're, I mean, they're gimmicky, but if you like the thing, it's kind of fun. So let me... You're talking about pop-up bars like, today this bar looks like The Office. Yes. The Office, Stranger Things is a big popular one. I went to the Uh, Schitt's Creek pop-up bar. Schitt's Creek. Basically... I think that it's a it's a grift to get people into your dying bar to and it's we're gonna put we're gonna put a sign that says Patty's Pub on it and turn this bar into the bar from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Well, I found an article uh, this week about a new pop-up bar in New York City, just called Mom's Spaghetti. An M&M pop-up bar? There is a M&M-themed pop-up bar called Mom's Spaghetti. What are your thoughts? I want to know what the drinks are. I'm sure they're not great. <laughs> I haven't. I have done no more research on this than that because it's not my job to be thoroughly researched like you. But I just want to let you know that there's a bar called Mom's Spaghetti out there. Are you looking at it now? I'm looking it up. Wait, it's Eminem's own concept, which changes it to me. Why? Because it's if it's he's allowed to do a pop up about himself. I think that's even worse because I think if a fan is organically doing a pop up bar, then I think that that's like nice and and uh, honoring. If so, it sounds like a cash grab to me, an Eminem cash grab. Well, it also exists in Detroit already. So, I'm learning. Sounds like a ghost restaurant to me. No. So there's a spaghetti. Yes, I would assume that Mom's Spaghetti would have spaghetti. Yeah, I don't think it's a pop-up bar. I think it's a pop-up restaurant with spaghetti. The menu is simple. Spaghetti, spaghetti and meatballs, and vegan spaghetti. Which sounds very... If you had asked Eminem in the 90s if he would open up a vegan restaurant, I bet he would... Well, it's not a vegan restaurant. It has a vegan option. I bet he wouldn't like that it had a vegan option. Spaghetti and vegan balls. But it says spaghetti and rabbit balls, which I don't think are vegan. No, but But rabbit rabbit was his name, was his rap name in 8 Mile. That makes sense. I've never seen 8 Mile. Oh, we should watch it. See what foods are in it. Uh, Not a lot. There's if like, you were going to do a pop-up, what would you pop up? That would be interesting. I would want to... Anything I would want to do has A, either already been done somewhere probably, or B, wouldn't have the kind of interest that like a pop-up bar would be done. I would... You know what I mean? The, the Seeing the spaghetti with meatless balls made me think of Rent. Doing a Rent pop-up bar? Because you know the sign yes. is like... Yes. We just saw Wicked, so maybe... Yes, let's do a Wicked pop-up A Wicked bar. pop-up. I'm still talking about Rent. Yes. Are there foods... Were there any foods in Wicked? Um, there was the, the elixir. Right. I don't think they ate in Wicked. No, no, they don't. They don't eat. They do eat in Rent. Yes. Um, and one pasta with meatless balls. Is it, that it there? It Why? tastes the same if you close your eyes. Yes. And 13 orders of fries. Um, Wine and <laughs> beer. Yeah, so that would be an easy pop-up. Wine and beer. I would do a... Okay, so I would do a... Uh, what's the show that we... Party Down pop-up. Oh, that would be funny. Because it would be very creative. Catering food. Catering. Like, it would be very easy to do. Yeah, that would just... Any food. Yes. And everybody would have to dress like the party down caterers. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just like, I, I feel like it's, well, when they had a Fleetwood Mac pop-up bar, I was like, this, I feel like we've jumped our shark when we're just having one band, you know? They had a Fleetwood Mac pop-up There was bar. one in Wicker Park that was a Fleetwood Mac 
uh, over by Emporium, oh. a bar, and it was uh, just a Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac pop-up bar. And it's like, you just wanted to play Stevie Nicks songs all night long. And, like, what's the food? White Wing Dove? No, I... <laughs> it's... I don't even know if they have food. That's the thing. <laughs> they don't even... They don't have food... They don't have food whenever the the arcade bar does it at... Yeah, well, but... So, M&M's pop-up is a restaurant. Still don't there like There was, it. like, a Saved by the Bell pop-up restaurant. Yeah. Then Still there's, don't... like, the bars, which are just, like... I say come Schitt's up... Creek. Come up with your own creative idea. Come up with your own concept. Yeah. Come up with your own concept. Don't borrow from pop culture. Yeah. Nobody likes pop culture. Nobody likes pop culture. They just like good food. No, yeah. You're I, just I, mad because you don't like arcade bars. I don't like arcade bars, and pop-up bars normally happen at arcade bars. Now, what are your thoughts about how every bar in Wrigleyville is Christmas-themed? Oh, I hate it. I avoid, <laughs> I avoid it, like, especially when it's still November and we're doing this. It's so weird. I can't stand it. Yeah. I, we, we had to lose our open mic that we ran for... For two and a half months because of a because of that Christmas nonsense. So bah humbug, uh, and I hope you rot, you filthy animals, or whatever. <laughs> That's except for my uh, my theme restaurant, my Mongolian Grill restaurant that I'm. It's going to be a pop up theme. Genghis Khan Genghis theme Khan. Mongolian Grill. Except I, oh man, I gotta hurry up and do some research about the Mongolian culture. <laughs> There's before, just all this elephant the... decor, and it's, <laughs> it's like, like, why? So like, yeah, you know, Mongolian, Hannibal, <laughs> crossing the Alps. <laughs> crossing the Alps from Mongolia. Crossing the Alps to Mongolia. <laughs> oh well, my goodness. Well, we've established uh, how you are the smart one on this podcast. You just don't do any research. None at all. And I think that's and why. And you never I... thought about what the name Crab Rangoon means. Nope. But it tastes good. That's all that matters. <laughs> well, <Good>. I think <laughs> I think that's, that's I think I think we're good. That's all I had. I think that's I think I think I learned a lot. Uh we shared a lot and I learned about M and M's spaghetti pop up. I told you partially that and you did all the research on top of that yeah so. i learned it mostly from google but you put the <laughs> idea in um in my mind to google it well this well this was a fun episode great i'm gonna go eat another helping of noodles hey friends thanks for listening to this episode of food for pod Today we ordered food from D Cuisine in Lincoln Park. It's at 2723 North Clark Street. In addition to the takeout we ordered, they also have a really great dim sum menu. Um, we also, some references if you're interested in learning more about the history of American Chinese food is the Search for General So movie. And then I there's a book called The Fortune Cookie Chronicles by Jennifer Aitley that a lot of the research for this episode cited, so I'm excited to find and read that book. And if you're in New York, go try Mom's Spaghetti and let us know how it is. Or Detroit, apparently. (laughs) 